Hello? Hello. Well, hi. Well, hello. And we are back again for our second episode on this book. Yes, we, we are. Should, but we should give our intro now that we're... Yeah, we have an intro. And it goes, you're listening to Pod. Welcome as we, Portia the Lifelong Fan, and... Amanda, the first-time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love being soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Oh, right. So, yeah, we are in Partners in Crime, part two. Part two. Um, Because there were a bunch of stories. And, again, although I have some... I have some critiques of some things. Overall, I love it. It's so fun. Right. I mean, some stories are definitely better than others. And, and sometimes there's definitely like, if you have suspension of reality, whenever they go big crime boss, it's always like, okay. But it's so fun. And it's, I, I honestly, I think I prefer Agatha Christie when she's writing humor. Right. Which is what she's known for. But like whenever the books have a funny tone, I really get into it. And I think because this one has such a humorous tone, it's like just the banter between them is so good. So we are starting today with the story of the Crackler. The Crackler. So um, just a recap, this book is a compilation of stories where Tommy and Tuppence are being um, uh, detectives for a detective agency. They're pretending to be the detective agency. We're also trying to catch the big bad guys who used to run it. Why, by the way, um, <laughs> Agatha, would the big bad guys run a detective agency as their cover? Just, you know, seems like a bad cover, but whatever. Right. And at some point, because it's supposed to be some sort of a front for something Russian. And as it, and sometimes Russians come to check on it and then Scott, Scotland Yard arrests them. But the Russians are never supposed to be suspicious. It's just like this great way to farm out agents by arresting them. Like, it's just, or not farm, but to like to, to find out these bad guys because they come in and they don't notice that the branding has changed. <laughs> They're putting out these different ads now. Right, like, right. Like, it has a cover and them taking it over and like, it's it's a Russian front, but no one, the Russians don't know. It doesn't really hold water, but if you could suspend that, but you can. Right, because I mean, I think the more of the point is, is well, Tom, Tommy and Tuppence. Yeah, they just wanted to be detectives for a while for fun. Right. So this one, the inspector comes to them and gives them a problem. So this wasn't a client; it was the inspector, and he says, "Hey, there are some counterfeit notes that are um, showing up." And I can't remember where the location, because it didn't seem like it was in London. I'm wondering if it was in the French Riviera or the British. Like, is there? Oh, a- I thought it, I thought it was there in London with them, but maybe I missed that. I, I don't understand those locations. Well, they kept on talking about going back and forth to France and partying. Um, anyway, so, but so well, the money the- was going back and forth to France, right? The counterfeit notes. But basically, the setup for this one was the detective novel of Edgar Wallace. 
who apparently who writes a lot, writes a lot of detective novels. They joked about if they would have to buy a new bookshelf. But but yeah, they had to get, no, they had to buy a new office. They had to move offices oh, yeah. so they could fit his work in. Oh, that's right. Um, but apparently, he writes about serious Scot- Scotland Yard men. So they're like, we'll never get one of those cases. But then, in this case, they were supposed to go after the counterfeiters. And so, so their Scotland Yard handler teaches them how to identify counterfeit notes, and and then because they have a social connection with a, with a couple that's in with these people who they think the counterfeit notes are coming from, which is Captain So-and-So and his sexy French wife who flirts with everyone. They're like, you guys get in with that crowd because our agents look like Miss Congeniality beforehand and we can't get in with that crowd. So you guys get in with that crowd and, and then you're going to... They were just being themselves. They use their real names. Right. Um, they didn't say that they were detectives. They were just being Tommy and Tuppets who were young and had money and wanted to party. Um, and it's definitely a lot of talking about partying and drinking. And a lot of partying about like sort of like flirting when you're in a relationship because Tommy is flirting with the, the French wife who the counterfeit notes are maybe coming from. So she's supposed to. And he's like, well, I'm only flirting with her as part of the job. And Tubbins is like, well, I'm flirting with this other guy for fun. <laughs> right. Well, and there's so much banter about them sort of like who finds them attractive? Who do they find attractive? And Tubbins has this great line about when Tommy pretends not to be attracted to the sexy French wife. She's like, well, I've always thought it'd be better to marry a liar than a fool. A fool. And then Tommy was like, well, do you really have to marry either one? <laughs> right. Is it he, necessary? He just, yeah. And he's like, she's like, yeah. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. So it's it, they, yeah, they, it's, a, it's a lot of bond, banter about that, and like you said, a lot of banter about partying and stuff. So um, they get um, so it's interesting because the inspector says, "Sexy French rice, her um, Colonel something husband, but also sexy French wife's dad um, always seem to be the one." Excuse me, who is? Uh, who's putting out the notes is it them is it the dad is it the husband who is it or is it one of the people around them but we don't meet very many of them right we mostly talk to the sexy french wife there's this james guy who seems to be someone who's under her spell as well but now he's starting with tuppence uh yeah who's young and then there's the american guy who's hank right wasn't it hank i i don't know he sounded like a hank from the the audiobook he was given a real hard Hank sort of an accent. Well, they said he was from Alabama. and Which is not what the accent was. <laughs> did they round off know. to the, did the, they were like Texas, it was Alabama. John Wayne. Enough. It was definitely John Wayne. Oh, no. That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's Hank Ryder. There's a lot of bum notes going around here. You know anything about that? Yeah, that's not Alabama. <laughs> it's not Alabama <laughs> I didn't even catch that it was supposed to be Alabama because you know when you're audio listening, audio reading, you don't right, necessarily no. catch some details because like he's giving, well, I ought to pull out my pistol and shoot you with it like a good and red-blooded American. Oh, goodness. That's yeah, not what Alabama sounds like. I mean, no shade to the reader. He does so many voices very well. But, <laughs> but hey, you know, he went southern U.S. close enough. He went 
close enough close enough and you know so uh but so the climax of this story which is also i had to take a moment and be like i don't buy any of this but it's fine so they're trying to find these counterfeiters they're suspecting sexy french wife because the the bad notes keep coming from her and then tommy comes across junk john wayne in the parking lot (laughs) right he's like super drunk and then he's telling kind of a drunk story about the sexy french lady taking him to find a treasure and pulling out a bunch of money and he's like yeah come with me i'll show you and then all of a sudden he's not drunk and they john wayne takes him to a the the lair where all the counterfeiting is done in order to kidnap him or in order to whatever him instead right. of like and then and then of course because tommy's not stupid he like leaves a trail of breadcrumbs and then scotland yard comes and arrests everybody so it's like if you think this guy's on to you just shoot him in the parking lot or like tell him you're taking him to the the lair but then take him to a ravine and shoot him like i don't mean to be so crass but like that's how you get rid of someone who's on to you you don't take him to your lair and then he brings scotland yard behind him like don't well and and the the lair the end especially if you know he's related to the authorities the end reveal was that hank Ryder um was suspicious of tommy and then tommy was suspicious of hank so he kidnapped tommy under the pretense that uh, the French lady had taken him and then but Tommy had told Albert to follow him if he had ever gotten a car with Hank and so it's like I didn't understand how either one of them would have found each other suspicious like there was no because she they didn't have enough interaction before that moment they had like one one side conversation before that moment right they had one conversation and how is it that like um that yeah so how did they get suspicious of each other um agatha christie is usually pretty good at you know dropping in the clues that later if you reread it you're like oh but in this one it's like wait a minute so um yeah and then i did appreciate him okay so she was writing american southern accent drunk Right. So, so how did how did that come out so, in the actual text? This god darned hat stand. So that is spelled H A T C H T A N D. Hat stand. This god darn hash stand. Not like that in the states. S C H. No. C. Wow. S H. Yeah. So she's writing. So she's trying to dialect for drunk Alabama. But also, then we find out he's fake drunk. He was pretending to be drunk. Right. So, that's a lot of layers. And then, of the breadcrumbs that um, Tommy leaves are also kind of esoteric. Right? Yes. I put Valerian because cats love Valerian. And the cats will be outside the door so they'll know which. (laughs) Like, how the hell was he going to know that there was a bunch of cats out? Like he just, just is like, carrying Valerian so, out in his So pocket. Alfred, if I ever go anywhere with this American guy, follow me and look for the cats. <laughs> Put Valerian outside. Because right. I know it's going to be in an alley where there's a lot of cats. Like, 
What right. if it wasn't the caddy alley? What if there right. was more rats around? What, what if, yeah, or you went, to, yeah, it, that. So anyway, the, I but, think it's more fun. What's more fun about this is the fact that they were just having fun being young partiers, but also not really because it was a job. But they, and this know, one, yeah, kind of follows up on the one where they got to go to the fancy dress and they, you know, when, when Tuppets was complaining about not going out enough so i do think this kind of like dip their feet into like being young and partying um and the other thing that was super cute was at the end i actually just when i was just rereading it there was some dialogue that i kind of missed because like you know the mystery's been solved it's, it's resolved my brain's moving on to the next story but tommy says to you know the scotland yard guy he's like this one was very dangerous and he goes because that was the guy's name James or Jimmy or Jimmy, something? Jimmy. Jimmy. Faulkner. Okay. Yeah. So he he says because that Jimmy, he's you know he can make cocktails and he dances really well. Yeah, this was pretty dangerous of a mission. Like I think he was kind of like really worried about Tuppence's attachment to this guy. And he said something about like I hope she's there when I get home. This was a really dangerous mission, and then refers to Jimmy. So I thought that was cute because he definitely was like, yeah, this was fun, but like having my wife, you know out there flirting with guys i'm not really comfortable with that and it was it was sweet and i didn't even catch that really the first time right like right. that was the kind of danger he felt from right the he didn't care about the guy from alabama who talked like john wayne so <laughs> oh and we wanted to bring up in this episode um the fact that there's this show about tommy and tuppence right just saw an ad for it on ovation i did not uh, know that was a network yeah um and it's called partners in crime oh well there um, you go and new no episodes set every saturday night um, have you watched any yet i have not because oh it's saturday night we can try to get set, one too yeah. but um when i looked at the episodes um what am i doing uh they had the Secret Adversary Part One. The Secret. Ad- so the name of the show is Partners in Crime, which is the name of the book we are reading. But then, The Secret Adversary Part One, Part Two, Part Three, and I was like, okay, well, that's you know. So, but they have Tommy and Tuppet so basically and Elvis. they're just grouping that with all the Tommy and Tuppet story, right? Um, which oh, is me- it's still the best one. I think The Secret Adversary is still the best Tommy oh, and Tuppet totally. story. I mean, because it's fleshed out. These are all so, short stories. Um, they uh but the other interesting thing is it's set in the 50s which is you know so on the one hand it's post-war um and it's uh booming economy so those two things are going to be similar to the 20s when the books were originally set on the other hand women in the 20s versus women in the 50s i know a little bit less about british society than i do american but there was some backwards movement Mm -hmm. when you think about young women honey we see that sometimes right so when you think about young women in the 20s they were seen as independent they just gotten the right to vote they were you know going out and doing stuff they were pushing the envelope going out you know young women were smoking they were doing these things that were like pushing the envelope quite a bit but when you think about women in the 50s, um, there was actually the opposite reaction post-war when 
it was like, can we get back to normal, quote, normal? And so they were, um, it was less accepted for women to be so independent and so, and doing things. So it's an interesting choice for them to film it and base, base it in the fifties. Yeah. We'll have to see. Um, and so, uh, also interesting. I was just looking at the cast list. So I don't recognize any of these actors, but they have Tommy Tuppence, Albert, who looks much older than, at least in the cast pictures. I feel like in a show version that they could do a lot with Albert because he's such a like comic relief again for the listeners that he's the assistant, fake assistant in their fake detective detective agency or like receptionist kind of person, but he's actually their their uh, manservant of their home, which isn't weird to have at that time. Of right. Class and of they people. have Mr. Carter, and that so far they have Rita Vandermeer, who's from The Secret Adversary. And Julius Hersheimer, who in this, uh, you know, as you might remember from the Secret Adversary, was an American, at least according to this cast photo, is African American. Oh, awesome! So, I mean, that I suppose could be uh, well. There was quite a few African Americans who had gone to Paris in the twenties, because I was thinking, would that be more fifties? Um. But I think that again. Isn't he the one who at the end turns out to have done it? No, no, no. Hersheimer? Uh, Hersheimer is the one who marries his cousin. Oh, okay, cute. (laughs) Well, it's always interesting, right? Like if you're going to add a black character where the writer didn't add it, and if you add it as the villain, I'm always like, oh, well. Right, right, right. (laughs) So um, anyway, I've set my DVR to record them. But I, also I had to don't... find out in, in my, uh, you know, Amazon. Right. Like, do you have What's it, it called? What's the Roku of an Amazon? Whatever I have. Hot stick. Fire, right. fire stick. Fire, fire stick. Fire, fireball. Anyways, I have to figure out how to get ovation on that. Because I'm excited. Yeah. So, um, so it's going to be interesting to uh, see if we can watch that. And um we could do a bonus episode about that. We could do a bonus episode since it's brand new. Um, yeah. Hot um, off the presses. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Okay. So, so back-, back to the books. We finished the crackler and the whole, the point of the name, the crackler was when it, when it was about counterfeiting, Tommy was like, I'll catch you crackler. And Tevins was like, what? And he was like, cause you know, new money. It's like crackly. I'm going to add that to the dictionary. <laughs> I thought she came like, up with it. No, it was definitely him. Oh, I just okay. I just re-listened and it was definitely him. And she was like, it should be something else instead. And he was like, no, it's the crackler. And then at the end, when they arrest him, he's like, I got you, crackler. And the guy's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. I like the funny thing is that like that whole one and I think that that mood is throughout these where it's sort of like they're in it but like they know they're play acting so they don't take anything that seriously but that mood was very serious in this where he was like I've got you crackler what I'm really worried about is does my wife like that guy right 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 <laughs> exactly um, so the next one is the, the Sunningdale, Sunningdale was- mystery which this one was really fun it is I enjoyed this one in a totally different way um and the setup is totally different. That was the nice thing about these is that each one has a different setup. Right, right. So like this one, they're, they go to a cafe and instead of like going, it, it seems like somehow 
whatever's going on with them and the Secret Service is that, you know, they're decent on money now. So when Tommy's like, do you want to go to lunch? Or guess where we're going to lunch? She's like, the Ritz? The Blitz? Something else fancy? And he's like, he called it an ABC or something, but it sounded like it was a diner. It was basically like, right, like a corner, exactly. corner kind of diner kind of place. And she was like, oh. <laughs> because yeah. it was written in the style of the old man in the corner. Which I don't know what that is, but you know, we I looked it up, and so the old man in the corner, who apparently you never find out his name, um, who would just um, solve mysteries and sits in a corner, um, and then and apparently consuming lots of dairy, yeah, and ties <laughs> strings whenever he's thinking, and then a, a re- young reporter for a newspaper would come and bring him cases, and then he would think about the cases while tying and untying knots in an old piece of string. And so they're like, we're going to do that. We're going to, I'm going to eat dairy and you, <laughs> and I'll tie strings and a cheesecake and a glass of milk or something like. And then yeah. who's Miss Polly Burton? That's the reporter who would bring. Okay. So that's case. who Tom is going to be. Right. So it was cute. Cause there's, they, and, and they, they owned it or Tommy owned it. Cause he's like, basically we're slow right now. We don't have any work. So we might as well work on you know, a cold case or like an unsolved case. So right. he brings out the newspaper and it's not, I don't, I'm probably using cold casing correctly because it's an ongoing case right now. The woman's about to be tried. Right. But it's something that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. It doesn't quite add up. So there's, there's a, um, a woman who Portia is stepping away. She just mimed <laughs> me over the video that she's stepping <laughs> away to refresh her beverage so oh, I'm going to do my best uh, to hold this up by myself. I'm I can do it. I'm still here. I just, oh, she's, she's still here. I was just telling so, you I wasn't in view. Oh. <laughs> well, I do get anxious like... when I can't see you, so I appreciate it. <laughs> I just didn't want you to be like, oh, oh your God. audio hasn't gone away. I see you just stepped away from the camera. Yeah, that's all I was saying. 2020 is hard because we're see- <laughs> I'm seeing you on one program, but I'm listening to you on another <laughs> Right. Back to the story. Back to the story. <laughs> so, um, the this is about there was a man who was murdered on a golf range or his body was found on a golf range. And there's some sort of weird story of some girl who came from out of town who's now been accused of his murder. So right. the story is um the man is playing golf with his business partner. And some woman comes up and talks to him, takes him into the woods. And then he comes back and he's all thrown off. And then he finishes that hole or maybe one more hole. And then he leaves and goes home early. And his business partner slash golf partner goes with the business associates that are playing like one or, you know, friends that they know who are, um, playing one hole behind them and they go back to the clubhouse and do white people stuff um (laughs) right i'm assuming (laughs) um and then the next day his body is found on the green and he had this like bright blue blazer that he always wore so everybody was like oh my god it's him because he was wearing that bright blue blazer and then which is so convenient when your murder uh, victim always wears the same outfit it is it helps it helps and then there's this story because this is a married man who was apparently happily married for all we know. But there's a story of that same day he or no, the previous week he had gone to London or whatever town, met a girl 
and convinced her to come back to his house with him, but come back on Wednesday when his wife's out of town. And the servants are out of town. And everybody's gone, so she should come down for dinner. So it's supposed to be after this golf game, he goes home, has dinner with some random chick at his house, takes her to the golf course, and then gets all weird and like, I'm going to end it all. I'm going to kill myself and I'm going to kill you too. And so she runs away. She's like, whoa, man. You seemed cute when I met you in London, but this is a lot. She runs away and then takes the train back home. And so there's all this evidence, yeah, of like her hair and felt and whatever. But also he was killed with a hat pin. So, Which is the thing, apparently, in old-timey times. Yeah, so, if hat you don't, so the hats um, were before elastic. So elastic, um, stretchy elastic was a new invention in the 20s. But before that, if you tried to put a hat on your head, it would come off a lot. And you uh, usually, as a woman, had a fair amount of hair. So you would stab, and hat pins are long and thin, and they're like a long needle, I'm going to say five or six inches. And then at the top, it kind of looks like a Q-tip at the top or a, you know. Mm -hmm. So one end is soft, not soft, but round. And the other end is pokey. And you need it to be pokey because your hat is like felt, right? So you need it to go through the hat, through your hair, and come out the other side. So it's stabby. And it's pretty long. So you could... Long and stabby. So, um, but... You know, so they go through the what they do for their like old men in the corners. They go through the facts of the case, and she's saying, "I didn't do it. This is my story." And um, the golf partner is like, "Well, this is what I saw." And it's like, "Well, who killed it?" And so um, they start talking about what makes them good at solving mysteries is their own personal knowledge. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that Tuppen says is. Nobody wears a hat pin, uses a hat pin anymore because now it's And she 20s. definitely saw the woman's hair, which was like in a bob. So she's like, why would she have a hat pin? She has a bob. Right. She doesn't no have one long uses... tresses that you can put the hat pin for. And, and also now uh, in the 20s, think about those cap. Baby, basically, they were like really tight caps that were stretchy. Yeah. You don't and and Tuffin makes pin. that point that like men and Tommy was like, really? And she was like, you guys are so behind. But men don't realize, they don't catch up with like how things, but Tuppence is like, I haven't had a hat pin or a hair pin in four years. Right. And so she was saying like, why would, because he was like, a woman must have done it. Even if it wasn't this woman, maybe it was the wife. And she's like, no, no, it wouldn't be this woman because she wouldn't use a hat pin and nobody would use a hat pin the hat pin is a to try to frame a woman it's It's like like, it's to make it look like it was a woman that did it so then they go to what is his personal knowledge and he knows this particular golf course and um so he starts thinking about like this mysterious woman that shows up and like where she would be coming from and there's a little shed um and some trees that um so this mysterious woman comes up to the verdict victim and walks away with him and they both disappear for a second. And then the murder victim comes back and starts playing golf again. 
but is playing badly. And we know this both from the partner who is playing with him, but also the people who are playing behind and the, uh, behind them in the golf course. So the initial interpretation of that was like, he was so thrown off by whatever this woman told him that his golf game went to shit. Right. But then, and this is where I wondered if you got super excited because it does have to do with a man dressing a drag. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. It didn't seem like gender play for anything but murder. So I wasn't super excited <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't like gender play for you know gender reasons. It was gender play for murder, which is less fun for me. Just, just you know, that's just how my identity works. <laughs> <laughs> but. But it also shows a. Uh, there was a flexibility, like oh, flexibility. It was a woman. or maybe it was a man. Like yeah, there was definitely like a sort of non-binary lens. Unlike oh, well maybe because they kept saying that the woman was tall, and then Tommy and Tumpets kind of problem solve how long it would take to transform from male appearance to female appearance. Well, then he, she could do that in the shed, and then how long would it take to like whoop off? the skirt and whatever to transform back into a man. Cause basically the solution is that, well, the other piece we didn't give is that turns out that the dead guy was in financial ruin and that he'd been embezzling from their practice. So that so was supposed to be the reason. Like, right. And the partner was like, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. So that was supposed to be the reason that he would have been like throwing this gun around and trying to kill himself. Um, but turn, so it turns out that it was the golf partner slash business partner and his son who had actually been the embezzlers. And so the son was in drag, came, impersonated a woman, pulled him off the course, killed him, and then came back wearing his blue blazer so that the people at the from the next hole would see him still playing as an alibi. Like, oh, look, he's still alive. But it was actually the son playing. As apparently, he never learned to golf. I don't know what he was doing as a wealthy young man not learning to golf. Right, right. And then that same guy was the one who flirted with the girl, told her to come and have dinner. and Because then... he knew that the wife would be out of town, the servants would be out of town. So he set that all up to frame her for um or either frame her or make it seem like it was suicide like they they didn't really care like it was right as long as it threw enough suspicion away from them right so because but because of tommy and thomas together with their knowledge of the golf course and knowledge of how long it would take to yeah and long knowledge of that again like i could see that someone you know a man being like you know me i have very short hair so if someone was like she used a bobby pin be like why would she have a bobby pin you know, right. she's, she's not, you know, I mean, like any woman would know that. So it seemed like it was very how a man thinks like, oh, this will be like a woman did it. But like hair hat pins were very old school by that point. It was very out of date by then. Right, right. So and I and what I liked about this story, besides those aspects of it, um, just the mechanic of the murder was pretty ingenious. Yeah, it was a, it was a smart way. It didn't seem like sometimes things are convoluted just to be convoluted, but it actually seems smart. Okay, we're going to kill him because we've been embezzling all this money. It's about but, to blow up. 
So if we make it look like he was the embezzler and he killed himself or gets killed or there's confusion and we can be like, oh, no, we're ruined. We really have it all stashed in the Cayman, I- Cayman Islands or whatever it was 1920 for the Cayman Islands. Right. Um, so it seems yeah, as, it's totally smart. And they framed uh, somebody else for it and the whole um, giving themselves an alibi by killing him in the middle of a golf game. So, yeah. Unlike the crackler, where the clues were like, "Why were you suspicious of the random American guy?" Because um, I, you know, when you reread it, you're like, "I still don't understand." But this one, like, oh, I, I understand every every step of the way, and it makes you clues. like their dynamic because I think that like you understand that when you're in a really good dynamic with someone, how they're like, "Ooh yeah," and "Ooh yeah," and then you have a piece that I couldn't have got there, and I have a piece that you couldn't have got there. So it really makes you appreciate. Tommy right. and is actual detectives because they really do know how to apply their knowledge and they have kind of a special knowledge, each of them. And it, it, it wouldn't have got there without both of them. So that was fun. Yeah, the only the stupid, other... stupid part was at the very end where they're like, oh my gosh, I think we figured it out. But I don't know if it, anybody would actually listen to us. And then the inspector, their friend, the inspector from Scotland Yard just happens to be at the table at the diner next to them. Yeah, that was cheesy. The, that part was cheesy. And he was like, oh, it happens to be right here. And we do believe you. And it's perfect. And like, yep, that was a cheesy ending. Like, yeah, that, that didn't have to be. Like, that definitely <laughs> felt like an end in a magazine short story. Like, right. you didn't need it to be that. Like, that would make sense to me if I was reading it as a short story excerpt in a magazine. But it didn't need to be that way as part of a novel, as a part of a compilation. Right, because then, you know, they have an in with Scott Illumiar. They clearly know this guy. They've been working with him for a while. They know him. Why would he be in the cafe and they wouldn't be like, hey, dude. (laughs) Right. So they could just go to him and be like, hey, we figured this thing out, by the way. So, yeah. So The other thing that was funny was that for the second time, uh, Tuppence says, I don't want to cramp your style, which I did not know was 1920s (laughs) slang, because we heard it in another book, and it might have been The Secret Adversaries, but it definitely did not know that that slang was that old right right because he was like and it was the from the 1990s and he, she, he says i don't know how much you remember of the case and she was like all of it but i don't want to cramp your style yeah right awesome. and i was just like i just there's 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 some language that you think is more contemporary than it is and so that was fun yeah yeah so that was a fun one that was a fun one and then but the funny thing was like because he was supposed to be the old man in the corner she ends up ordering for him like a glass of milk and a cheesecake and he's like gross and grosser but he's still like trying to eat them to like play the character while he hides the string <laughs> right right so cute <laughs> okay so the next uh story takes a actually, serious turn totally takes a serious turn it's depressing yeah it's probably the most depressing uh well i suppose the Finessing the king is pretty depressing too. Yeah. Um, and that's what I actually. And Tommy takes that. this one very personally because I feel like, you know, he's like, oh shit, I let this lady down. So the premise is this lady shows up and he's already decided he's going to be Inspector Hanand. So they had already decided he was going to be that. And so this woman comes in and apparently he's like super nice to the clients but super mean to other people so he's trying to do that when this woman comes in and he's he comes in and she he does this fake french accent which 
makes it very easy for him to be mean to Tuppence because Tuppence is like choking on her tongue. Right. Like, oh, over right. the fact that he's doing this fake accent. So he's she's like coughing. Like, are you really doing that accent right now, dude? In front of the client. And he's like, did you say something? I thought not. Like he's he's being mean to her, but also because she's openly mocking him. And it's hilarious. Right. right. <laughs> so so the woman comes in and says by the way i just recently inherited a fortune i live in a house with a bunch of people including a guy who's not my cousin but he's kind of my cousin but he's not my cousin um like my cousin by marriage only right and a box of chocolates showed up and they were poisoned and we all got sick and but then the wrapping for the chocolate came from inside the house because I recognized the wrapping. I had drawn something on it. And they've been a bunch of these kind of poisonings around the neighborhood. So could be that like they're supposed to think that like someone was just off the rocker and like sending arsenic chocolates to all the houses, but she could tell from the wrapping that they use that it came from within the house. So he's she's like, someone in my house is doing that, which is why she didn't go to the police. Right. And it's cause the people in the house are like her cousin, uh her uncle's I couldn't quite tell how everybody was related was kind okay, of Okay, so there's I, I got this. So there's her cousin who lives there. There's the servants and there's the the aunt that left her the house had a companion, which I have a bullet on for us to talk about. Right. Um because there's another one, one of the early stories that we read where there's like old ladies have a companion right mysterious affair at styles yeah and like yeah and so you're like is this is it gay or is it just like old ladies just like are bored and need someone to be there but then like when they die the companion keeps staying there so it seems like somehow now you're part of the family right because it was supposed to be like the old lady's companion right i think that nobody would have ever because i I get it. That's a really good point. Cause it's like calling these people companion. Usually one of them was richer than the other. So you, if you had a companion, you were rich. If you were a companion, you were not. So there was usually a, well, yeah. If, I mean, if you have the big house, we're going to your place. <laughs> You're going to come to my little flat in London, but there's go to your yeah, state. a lot with of the, Agatha with the tennis stories, courts, but also, um, uh, stories in Britain talk about two women to- living together and it's, you know, usually Lady So-and-so and her companion. And, uh, right. you know... Which, well, like, can't not sound gay to me. Well, yeah, now that you say that, but uh, they always made them seem incredibly asexual. Right. They did. So... Wait, wasn't... Wasn't in the... In the in Styles, wasn't she the villain, too? She was. Yeah. Oh. Agatha Christie hates a companion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in this one, way to give it homophobic. Away. Yeah. Sorry. Well, well Sorry. Yeah. too soon. Too soon. Spoiler. <laughs> no. Wait. <laughs> but we just decided they were asexual. I don't know if it's homophobic. No. Well, anyway. No, I'm saying it's painted as asexual. Right. But I don't know if I'm buying that. I don't know if I buy it either. I mean, I don't know because you know a lot of like... these stories have women t- living together for decades right so yeah um so so this woman and again i spoiled it but basically they go the woman comes and she's like they're trying to kill me so he's like cool we're coming tomorrow but he says that in a frank french accent right <laughs> so she goes home and he 
And before they can even leave in the morning, there's a news newspaper article that something was poisoned at the house and a whole bunch of people died or got sick. And so he heads down there. The cl- including the woman who came to them. Right. So, so the client were, is they, dead. They were like um, all joking about like, oh, da, da, da. And they were speculating because the cousin by marriage who would inherit the fortune. Right. So if, if she died, the cousin would get everything. So we're sort of assuming it's him. But they were like, how come they don't just get married? Because they're not actually related. Um, And And also in in all these books, marrying your cousin is fine. Yeah. (laughs) Because they didn't. Right. Good point. And so. Know about genes. So. (laughs) um, So so they're like joking about all this, about who did it, da, da, da. And then. Yeah, he should just marry her. Stop trying to kill her. Just marry her. And then the next day, they're um, they read in the paper that their client is dead, and it's like, oh shit! Like it, it really the- shook Tommy up. I think because he was doing the dumb accent and all this stuff, and then like, oh shit, she's dead! Like, and she came to us for help. So and Tuppence is like, it's not your fault. Like, there's something you could have done yesterday to fix it, and she didn't want to go to the police because she knew it was someone in her house. So, um, and the people in the house were, I'm. Um, um, oh, that was the other person in the house was um, the girl's friend who was staying with her. Again, maybe gay. So, yeah. Just saying. So, like, so it was the aunt's companion, but the aunt had left the house to our client. And then the client had a friend staying with her. Sounds like indefinitely who was just staying there. We, didn't, we don't know right, how long she stayed there. They just said an old school friend of mine who was staying with us. Right. So that was the other non-servant person. Right. And then among the servants, there was an interesting character of Hannah. And then uh, one of the servants had died from the poisoning. So the deaths were the, their client, the, um, the parlor maid. The cousin was sick with the, with, uh, with the poisoning. And then the aunt's companion was sick. Uh, but the, um, the client's friend who was there, who didn't have any of the Fig sandwiches? Who the hell makes a fig sandwich, by the way? What? I mean, that just... They did say it was a fig jam. Right, but... Which, like, I do enjoy a jam. And I do enjoy the preserved fig sandwiches. Yeah. But, um, like, what else goes in a sandwich that you make with fig paste? Because, actually, now that we're talking about it, I want to be mad, but I'm kind of into it. I kind of <laughs> want one. <laughs> like, I just want to know what to pair it with. Like... Right, you know how when you're having like a charcuterie plate, you can have like the meat, and then you have like right figs or like a right. jam. Right, so yeah, that'd be and some mustard. Now it's sounding delicious, and now I need a fig sandwich. Fair <laughs> enough. So, so they rush down there because they're like, "Oh shit, we were supposed to save this woman's life, and instead she died like right after coming for help." We're horrible. You know, right. like it's sad. And it and Yeah, so he drops a fake accent and gets there and talks to the doctor right away. But then they're like, um uh, totally thinking that the the cousin by marriage must have done it because he inherits, but he had already died too. And what right. was interesting is that that the fig paste was served at tea. Um excuse me, and the um at the cousin wasn't there right so, so it, yeah it was it was served at tea but he didn't he wasn't there he was out for tea 
So how? But he still died. So how did he also get the same poison? So they talk to the school friend of their client, and they're trying to figure it out. And they talk to all the servants, and one of them seems crazy. Oh yeah, she's she's doing a whole like the Lord will burn everybody and blah blah blah, and she's she's what is it? Tommy called it religious fervor. Yeah. So she's just like freaking out with her Bible and like yelling at everybody, but she's one of the servants. So they're like, okay, was it her? Was it, yeah, they called it religious mania. Um, and so they're like trying to figure out. And then turns out the old lady who had died, who left the money to the client, her, her companion had said, my, my father was a doctor. Um, and the other important piece was the companion was a cousin of the husband. No, no, no. The companion was a cousin of the cousin. So Right, because the cousin was related to the husband. Wait, which whose husband? Where's They're that? on that side of the family. Okay. So the old lady who died had a husband. Uh-huh. That husband had both this nephew. Uh-huh. And a cousin who was the companion. Oh, so she was, yeah, she was. Related. I mean, it's all the same. They're all going to be related because they're all on that side of the family. So he, she's right. related to both the husband. But that's how she met her boo was through her cousin husband. Oh, no, okay. her cousin, who's the husband of boo. And right. so when husband dies, she slides in like, hey, I'll live with you. We can be a little gay. It's fine. And then. That one, but the then lady her boo doesn't leave her the money. She leaves, boo leaves the, the money to, to her niece. Niece, and then the niece says, "Well, I don't know what to do, so I put on my will that I'll leave it to my cousin by marriage." And then it turns out the companion is related to the cousin. Is the marriage. next of kin of the cousin. So, so boom, boom, boom. She kills everybody. So she kills the lady who owns the house. And then when he gets home from tea, she spikes his drink with poison so that she can inherit it all, even though she's old, which is, I don't think that's like, I shouldn't be like, old people shouldn't be able to kill people for money. I mean, like not in an ageist way. I mean, people shouldn't do that any, at any age. Right. Yeah. How old but it she? did seem like you're living in this great house. Like, what, what do you need the money for? Like, what are you, I wanted to know what her plans were with this money because you're already living in this estate yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine what to what end, and not that I, I, I don't think it's unrealistic because I do think people want to have their own wealth, and maybe being the companion and the sidekick and the whatever wasn't enough for her. And like you know, they kept calling her old. They never said how old. Like so, maybe she's fifty-five and she's got a good, you know, right? Because it's just forty-five says, years to go. It just says that she has white hair, right? So we don't really know how old that is, right? So it's kind of interesting because you don't usually think about the old people being the murderer, but. What was interesting about the way that Tuppence is the one that figures it out because the lady had tracks basically on her arm. Right. So they're like, is she, is she on cocaine? And they were like, no, she doesn't have the signs of that. And so the figures out that there's a poison book in the house, which was written by her father because her father was a famous doctor or something. Doctor. And so he figured out there's this poison. And if you give yourself small portions of it, it's very a uh, princess bride. Like if you give yourself small portions of the poison over time, you'll become inoculated to it. 
So she'd been doing that, which is why she had tracks on her arm. Right. So that when she got poisoned by the figgy jams. So the poison was ricin. And it oh, came you. from the castor this oil is... plant. Um, and ricin has been used as in terrorist attacks. So it can be... Oh, you know about it. Okay. Japanese subway like 10 years ago. Oh, okay. I think. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, ricin. But it's one of those, like, you can grow the castor oil plants, but you have to, like, it takes a bit to, like, because castor, yeah, mm. castor oil is fine. But, yeah, so what she would You have do, to, like, breaking bat it into the... Exactly. So, um, but, um, so what she was doing was injecting small amounts of the poison into herself so that when she ate the fig paste, she didn't die. Right. Which is why it killed the young. So she got people. sick. So she could be like, oh, I'm sick too. I'm poisoned too. But it didn't kill her because she'd been inoculating herself. Right. Because of the, yeah. And Tuppence knew about those experiments from being in the army hospital and being aware of those experiments. So that's how she was like, ha ha. Right. So, that's what those tracks mean. Right. So, and then it turned out that the crazy religious person was like, knew something was wrong but didn't have enough education to explain it so she was just like it goes real classes there they kept being like how she was so dumb right like she, maybe she did it but nah she didn't see us too dumb for all of this and then she had figured it out because she'd seen in the poison book the the recipe for the poison that was used like so this woman was not stupid she wasn't necessarily able to express it and she expressed it in a kind of a, you know, freaking out about Jesus kind of way. But she'd figured it out. Right. She knew who the murderer was. But then this was one I, like, I thought it was a really good story. But then, like, the end just didn't make any sense. So, oh, Tuppence comes up and is like, oh, lady, you did it. Here's how. And the old lady's like, oh, no, you figured me out. If it wasn't for you kids. And then Hannah, the the Bible freak comes in and is like, I'm going to burn her down because I knew it. But now that you guys said it out loud, I have a literal torch in my hand and I'm going to light this lady on fire. Oh, that's right. But I knew this before and I didn't decide to light her on fire before this. But now that she said, now that you guys know that she's the murderer. And then apparently they keep the fire from burning her up, but the shock of it all kills the old lady. Right. Which is so convenient. And they're all like, oh, it's for the best. And I always say it's interesting because Agatha has a real good track record of murderer dies murderer kills himself or dies in another way for the best they don't like she does not like a trial no she does not hey yeah jump off that bridge murderer it's fine we all know it's like there's a like she's very into the murderer killing themselves or being killed because like yeah the the police and tommy and tevins are like eh for the best she was killing she was killing yeah and so I feel like in a lot of the media that we consume now times they will like keep the person from killing themselves in order to try them and i don't right. know where my ethics are on any of that i don't necessarily have a philosophy on this but it's interesting because i think it stands in contrast to current media totally. in current media there isn't like a great sounds good jump off that bridge we're glad right. you know what i mean just save right. the court time you're just saving costs and we appreciate it like the, the backlog <laughs> of court cases you know you so, did. We know you so did it. In yep. this, in this group of stories, in the finessing the king, the murderer jumps out the window. 
So the only other murder in this whole thing, well, I suppose the Sunningdale mystery is a murder too, but, um, and the man in the mist. Okay. I'm sorry. There are other murders, but finessing the King is the other one where Tommy and Tuppence took the murder personally. Because mm-hmm. in finessing the King, Tuppence has nightmares about holding the woman as she died and like thinking about yeah. this. And then in, um, in this one, um, this one was called the house of the lurking death, which is just dumb, but uh, <laughs> house of the lurking death. That's not, that's um, not great. But anyway, but in this one, you know, Tommy really took it personally that he talked to this woman. and was like, yeah, I'll help you out. And then she died before he could help her. And it was not funny anymore. And, but then conveniently enough, the murderer dies once they confront. It's very, it's also very Perry Mason right like um you did it ha 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 death right like right and that's why it didn't make any sense to me because if hannah wanted to kill the lady because hannah had clearly figured it out but she only came to kill the lady once tuppence also figured it out that's a good point i never thought about that and so i was like well why do you want to kill her now like it's almost like she was trying to prevent her coming to the authorities or whatever but yeah i that was one thing, like, at the end, I was like, that doesn't really add up to me that this woman would come in. And that her response to being both, like, full of re- religious fervor and upset over this death is to burn the woman. Like, that's like, right, okay, right. wow, wow. Right. That escalated. Also, yeah. these are the authorities here. Right. So. Right. So that was that was interesting. So. Okay, the next one they goes way more lighthearted, which was not actually very nice. But also, we needed a break. It, but also, boring <laughs> because you know, like, so the the whole thing is it's called guy. the unbreakable alibi, and this rich dumb guy comes in. It seems like basically the same guy from the first story. It totally does. Seem same like type the- who's just like I'm rich and dumb. So, I'm a tough. Apparently, that's the term. And so he comes in and like it's so funny because he's trying to describe he's like there's this girl and she's really amazing and and yeah and so she came in the thing and the thing and they're like and i dated people before but they weren't like her because there's this one girl that i liked but i didn't really like her that much and i wasn't gonna marry her but i might marry her but i didn't really want to but i met this girl and she was great and Thomas is like you never felt like this before okay like it was just like he and then couldn't he get says, it together we don't actually know what you want us to do and he goes <laughs> oh wait haven't i explained and he was like and tommy says no you haven't like because <laughs> he's just talking about how great this girl is um but anyway and they're like that's great that she's so great but why are you here in a detective agency <laughs> so basically the girl said i'm gonna be in two places at once break my alibi and this guy's like, what do rich people do when they have a problem? Yeah, because they had been talking about their love detective novels. So it's kind of cute because it's like similar to Tommy and Tuppence, like playing along with the detective agency. But on this end, they don't have a detective agency. She's like, okay, fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an alibi that I'm in two places at the same time. And you have to figure it out. And so she's got receipts and everything. Um, and, then- and it's so funny because... 
clearly like Tommy's like, oh God, if we if we help him figure it out. Oh yeah, because like you said, what does a rich guy do? Hires people. Right. I have people for that. He doesn't he can't figure it out because he said I'm not that smart. He actually said I'm not that smart. But he knows what so, rich, what self awareness guys do when they need help. Yeah, and he has good self awareness. He's not defensive about not being smart. Yeah. So he's just like, let me just hire some detectives. So so he gets and she says, if you break my alibi, you can ask me whatever you want. And again, Tommy's like, ah, this feels like cheating. And Tuppence is like, no woman would get herself would allow that to be an option unless she was like okay with it. Yeah. So this is clearly like prolonged flirting, which. Yeah, because she would not put up this whole Rumpel Silskin scenario if she didn't want him to like eventually ask her out. She's like she's being coy and being fun about it, but like she's not not interested, right? And then also, this is clearly rich, bored people, right? Like, rich, rich people games, yeah. So, so she basically is in two towns. How far apart? An hour and a half or two hours no, apart? Yeah, by by train or by car is kind of different but like hours quite a few hours apart yeah quite a bit apart and she's seen and has receipts and in I both love places how in torque which is a um uh big from what i understand i've never been to england which is always so funny the fact that i've read so many books but anyway torque i think is on the coast so it's a smaller vacation town oh uh, okay she has dinner at like eight and listens to the music and goes to bed. In London, she has dinner at eleven p.m. and I love that because they, you know, they do a breakdown of the times and like yeah. who's where. And I was just like, well, damn, you know. <laughs> so they finally like go back and forth because she gives uh, receipts and everything, and they go everywhere. So and it's cute because Tuppence says, and I, I, I always say this, how I like that Agatha Christie and almost, I think in every book, self-reference. It's only like that in fiction. It's only like that in detective stories. So in this one, Tuppence says, checking alibis is so boring. Right. She's like, you know, like in the book, it's real quick. We check the alibis, yada, yada, yada. It's like a sentence. But actually traveling and talking to the train conductors, talking to all the people and like tracking the people down. Like she's like, it's so tedious in real life versus in a book. And I thought that was a cute, the way to do that self-reference in this, in this. It is, it is boring. Cause they're like, and then we go to the hotel, it's just trying to get pictures of women so they can have people identify the woman is hard. And you're like, wait, that would be hard. Why would you have random pictures of women? Um, yeah. Cause they wanted to basically have a lineup, like some random women and the person they're looking for to like, not just give people like the picture, which I thought was smart. You don't see that often in stories. You just show the picture of the person you want. The person's like, sure. So but they were smart about it. So, but I do love that she was like, she took the train to this town on the coast and is seen by several people at this hotel and she eats dinner at eight and then asks the, you know, chambermaid for a hot water bottle so she can go to get, um, be warmer when she sleeps. And then at 1130 at night, she's having dinner at the Savoy in London, which just gives you an idea of what's happening in London, right? right? That people are having a meal at 1130 at night and there are people there and they're going to a show. And, um, and then she wakes up at 730 at the hotel out on the coast. And then at nine in her 
house in her flat because it's you know uh back in london so they're like trying to figure this out trying to figure it out and they're like we can't figure it out we keep and then it turns out that it's a trick the solution is and it was i was like i don't know if you guys have seen the movie the prestige and i don't recommend it if you don't like creepy things because it creeped me out but it's hugh jackman and somebody else but basically, there's these two magicians who are going back and forth, like, trying to best each other. Hugh Jackman and some guy. And basically, the other guy, who's not Hugh Jackman, has this great act where he, like, disappears in one side of the stage and appears in the other. And Hugh Jackman is so obsessed with recreating this that he ends up having some crazy machine made by Tesla. Actual, like, old-timey Tesla. Oh, like not like the dude, the dude, like Tesla. the dude Tesla makes this machine that basically Xeroxes you. And so, oh my goodness. So he ends up doing all these performances in this big arena as they, cause they're like building this, like, you know, David Blaine, whatever, like rivalry. So he ends up doing this big performance where he, he's in a, like, you know, a big fancy auditorium. He disappears from one side of the stage and appears in another. And they're like, how did he do it? So Hugh Jackman has this Tesla machine that literally copies you. And so what he does is he appears in the new place copied by this machine. And then the old him goes underneath the stage and drowns. And so he's doing this, this... this performance multiple times. So underneath the stage, there's multiple drowned Hugh Jackmans because he keeps photocopying himself and then killing himself. It's so creepy. Turns out the guy he's competing with is a twin. And that was the thing the whole time, but he just really committed to to the twin thing. Like he's literally like married to one woman, but he's a twin. The, the, The wife doesn't know. Like he's super committed to like being one person so that he can pull off his act as a twin. But... So it's, it's so I, I this made me think that this was the um, inspiration for the Prestige. Oh, that's interesting because oh. it literally like drives Hugh Jackman that far to like progress his magic to like this literal like crazy edge of like ethics and suicide and whatever and a whole bunch of dead copies of yourself, <laughs> whatever that means. When the other guy's literally just a twin. Wow! And so wow. when you figure that out. Or like you know, the movie tells you that you're just like, oh, so he was a twin, and you're insane, and you just committed suicide a hundred times, but that's fine. <laughs> oh, that is so creepy. And it just made me not sleep well at night. So I just shared that with you, and I'm so sorry. But anyways, I was I was like, that's where the prestige got this from. I was like, she was a twin. Like it happens. Like it's uncommon, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. Or. There's another copy Identical of you. Twins. And and the thing with her being a twin, the reason that like everybody didn't know that is because like the twin had just come into town, like maybe from Australia. They're always coming from Australia. Where was she coming from? Yeah, yeah. She was coming but, from Australia. Yeah, so basically like nobody had really met her twin before, so it wasn't like people knew her and her twin. So like she just came to town and impersonated herself. But that's why she was the more quiet one who like went to the beach and like ordered in the restaurant and she didn't necessarily socialize because she didn't know the same people and she would have had an accent. Right. And the other one, well, no, no, they, they both would have had an accent. Oh, they were uh, both Australian. They were both Australian. Just one of them had been there for a while. 
Yeah, yeah. That and was so, it. but the one who had been there for a while was the one, yeah, who stayed in town, lived, stayed at her own, hung out with flat. friends. So that she like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. So the 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 trick about twin identical twins. I mean, um, that is a trick. It kind of reminds me of like soap operas in the sense of like identical yeah. twins, or you know, yeah, very much so. You know, like a. So, but it was okay. But in terms of like the mechanic, it wasn't as interesting. Like the the Sunningdale we had talked about was a really good mystery, and the House of Lurking Death was a pretty good mystery. What I thought was good about this one is it kind of it showed their process. Like, okay, this whole time they've been pretending to be detectives, but this time they actually have to be detectives. They have to do, do the work. They have to go interview the people. They have to do all the things. And the reason that Tuppence figures this out is because she's like, there is no solution. She was in both places. Right. There's no way to get from A to B in enough time. There was two of her. Right. So it's kind of like by process of elimination, there has to be a twin. Right. And so I, I thought it showed like, you're right. It was kind of like, what do they say? Like under the hood sort of work. Like right, this is right. how they got there. But I felt like a lot of it, as they state themselves, they kind of state that like a lot of what they do runs on luck. Right. So this was actually them being detectives. And that's why Tuppence is like, this is boring. It's not and fun to be actual is. detective. But so, anyway, moving on. Moving so this on. one is fun because it's kind of like, it's just like the beginning of the book. It's kind of like a little bit of magical realism where Tuppence manifests this whole detective agency because she's like, I want adventure. I want to do spy shit again. And right. then it happens. So in this one, she's like, I want to work with a clergyman's daughter. Because I was one. Right, yeah. And then one shows up. Right. And maybe, I can't tell in the reading of it if she just says that because she'd already seen the letter from her. Or if she said, she oh, okay. Okay. She so totally she, cheated. I mean, we knew that she knew that before, but I couldn't tell. Okay. Okay. So never mind. She didn't manifest it. She just said that to like seem like it. It worked on me. She tricked both me and Tommy. So that's good. So the, the in this case, oh, we forgot to say that in the one before um, uh, the Unbreakable Alibi, they were being Inspector French, who in his stories were apparently all about alibis. Um, oh okay yeah they didn't really play a lot about the character in that one right so in this one the uh the the detective is called roger sherringham and tuppence is like i'm going to be the main detective because okay and this is where you're like amanda are you getting excited this is where i do get excited because tommy's like it's confusing when you take on a male character because he keeps switching pronouns with her and that's adorable right that's where it's fun for me because it's not about a murder for gender play he's like wait you're sharing him and then what he she like he, it's cute like it's really cute right and it's yeah it's more the gender play is cute and then like when when the when the client comes in he introduces her as miss sharing him instead of miss robinson which she normally is right right so so that's super cute so tuppence is our main star in this one yeah and she was the main star detective and back in finessing the king as well and uh, I do love the fact that Agatha Christie has them both solve cases about each oh, of time. And I think they're, they're almost always need one or the other. Like it's right. almost always, I wouldn't have got there without you. Right. Which is awesome. So in this case, even in this one too. Yeah. The, this woman, the 
the clergyman's daughter comes and says, okay, I inherited this house from my old aunt and my mother and I are living there. And so we don't have a lot of money, but we got the house. So great. And we kept the servant who had been there with the aunt and we're like, okay, well we, it, the only way that we could afford to keep the house is if we get borders. So they get borders and, um, but then they have a poltergeist basically, you know, causing mischief. And they um, had got an offer early on when they first got the house from a guy who wanted to buy it, which would have been a great offer, but she was sort of like, I haven't, we've never had a place that we called home. And this is important to me. My mom can be settled here. I don't want to move, even though we can't really afford it. Right. Because so, we don't have enough cash to go with this house. So that's why they got borders. But there was a guy early on that wanted to buy the house and she said no. So then they have this poltergeist ghost who's like causing smashing and stuff. And then another guy offered to come and buy the house because it's haunted and they were going to investigate it. And this woman's like, hey, you're the same guy who offered to buy it way back. Even so, though, like, he's supposed to be 20 years older and right. he's supposed to be a much different person. But she recognizes the gold tooth and the way he laughs. And she just recognizes enough things about him that she's like, that's the same dude. I know it is. So then they... Um, they go and visit the house and they see some of the smashing things that happen for the smashing, like um, vases and stuff like, you know, a vase gets smashed and nobody's around and stuff. So they think the servant must have been doing it. And um, either that or Tommy suspects the invalid mom, because he's like, you have to always suspect the person that's least likely. Yeah. Oh, and then, this was interesting. Yeah. And you write, mark it down. Like the client, she's like, why is this important? And she says, and Tommy Tuppence goes, you have two men who want to marry you. One's rich and one's poor. And, and the woman's like, how did you know? And Tuppence is like, it happens to everyone. It happened to me. What's interesting though, is of course, Julius didn't going back to the secret adversary. She did, he did propose, but he didn't, I don't know if he really wanted to marry her. And Tommy then got an income from his uncle and he wasn't poor, but I suppose he was when they were falling in love. Yeah. So the whole, that whole book, they were talking about how broke they were all the time. That's true. So anyway, so this whole idea, like, but that quote, do you want to say the quote about this? Yeah. So she was talking about, cause the client was basically like, okay, there's one I really love, but he's broke. And then there's the other guy and he's nice. And like, I guess he's all right. You know, like he's, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a nice guy. And so Tuppence, this is a quote from Tuppence. She said, it isn't the same thing at all. You go on telling yourself how good and worthy he is and adding up his qualities as though they were a addition sum. And it all has a simply refrigerating effect. And that's the kind of thing what you have when you're trying to talk yourself into someone who isn't what you want, but it's probably good for you on paper. And I just thought that was really good. You know, it was a really good quote. Right. We've all been there where there's a person who makes sense on paper, but you're just not that into. Right. Yeah. And so I thought, I thought that was very smart how like she, she said that out. And the other thing that was interesting was that the, the client from the beginning, so the servant who basically she'd inherited with the house, that it was the servant of her aunt who left the house said that, She's inclined to give herself airs because her sister married out of her station. She has a nephew who she's always saying is quite the gentleman. And so I just thought that was an interesting sort of 
Agatha Christie reinforcement of class and caste of like this woman has heirs and that's what causes all this trouble. Right. So this, yeah. So the, um, and the, and the client says that from the beginning that the, that the servant has heirs. Yeah. And so this question of who uh, contrast. So Monica was poor and inherited it. And the servant who'd worked there the whole time was trying to steal it. I'm using air quotes, which no one can see because it's a recording. But, <laughs> you know, steal it. But it's like, well, Monica, did you know this aunt? Did you? Right. Like, and you were poor before this. So where are you putting on airs now? It's just interesting how, like, right. inheritance is so. And it's interesting when I think about it in terms of, like, the way we see wealth in our country now, right? Like, all of these things about, like, the where we're looking at inherited wealth. And if it's, like really right. interesting as it, as it plays into race and class and everything right so a person is putting on airs if they're trying to to get above they are and that's the same way we treat people here with new money like there's people look down on new money but if it's inherited to you well then somehow it's right. divinely oriented and that's definitely like a concept we get i think from the british you know where it's like if somehow it comes through your bloodline or through your inheritance then somehow you deserve it more than someone who gets it another way even someone who earns it Right, right. And so, like, why would the, I mean, okay, maybe the ghost thing was a little bit cheating. But, yeah, I could see why the servant would be like, I worked for I worked at this, this land and this home for 20 years. And I I'm know, not saying that, that, that she should have it or whatever, but it was just interesting because I felt like as a, the author's perspective, she was like, it, it was reinforcing that this woman was out of her station. Totally. Totally. From the uh, from the perspective of the author, right, right. But one thing I thought was hilarious with this was like Tony, Tommy was pretty funny throughout this whole one, and that the town that they go to is called something like Starting in the Marsh, right. So they go there because they're like, "What's going on here? All right, we're going to find this treasure." But like, it's kind of a flippant one. Like the whole the, the mood is light of this one. And Tommy gets up at the, you know, in the morning at the hotel and he's like, here we are toad in the hole or whatever this village is called. Right. <laughs> he yeah, literally it's... calls it toad in the hole. And I was like, okay, this is funny. Like he was kind of like making light of it the whole time. And the, uh, yeah. So it's definitely like the Londoner who's like, where the hell are we? You know? Yeah. Like, and then like you said, they, they have to go through the old lady's papers and they find a riddle and they have to solve the riddle, which means potatoes. And it has to be like, okay, they're buried. The treasure's buried in the garden with the new potatoes. Yeah. It, yeah. So it was cute. Um, okay. We have two more stories. And they found a whole bunch of money and the lady's rich now. And everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. And nobody died. And nobody died. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no more deaths. There weren't a lot of deaths in this one, which, as I said, the fact that the deaths were kind of serious, you know, I appreciated that. But, like, when you did have a death, they were like, oh, shit. You know, yeah. It's no, because, yeah. And then, yeah, and that did sort of reflect the characters, right? Because, like, uh, Miss Marple and Pravo see death every day, but these guys don't. Like, it's a yeah. big deal to them. By the way, I changed locations because my computer was running low on power. So now I'm close to the, you know, plug-in. The power source. 
I was really concerned. I was like, why is Porsche in a different setting? I'm so concerned. I'm so concerned. Yes. Okay. Next next one is the ambassador's boots, which is cute. I thought this one was clever too. Yeah. It's a, it's a clever one. It's a clever one. So this, the American ambassador comes to their detective agency and he's like, okay, this isn't really a problem, but it's bugging me. Right. I was traveling on a ship. It was a ship, right? It was a ship. Yeah. And he gets off, everything's fine. And then, like, someone comes to him from the senator's office who's like, hey, you guys have the same initials, so the same suitcase, with the, you know, monogram suitcase. You got each other's suitcase, so we need to swap them back. Swapped them back, fine, no big deal. But then he runs into the senator somewhere who's like, I don't know anything you're talking about. I don't have a bag like that. And so it was like, he the ambassador wasn't missing anything everything was fine the bag that had been traded briefly just had a bunch of boots of his so it wasn't a big deal but it was like who pretended to have the center you know i mean it was just like why was this whole ruse concocted and what was it about so he was sort of like i'm not going to call the police because i don't have anything to complain about i'm not missing anything but what's going on here so that's why he went to the detectives so they decide that they're going to be Dr. Regis Fortune is their case is the, you know, like the, um, the fictional detective that they're going to be. So this is the description was a surgeon and consultant to Scotland Yard. He is a consummate snob prone to speech mannerisms who proclaims himself a man of the people while consuming enormous gourmet meals or driving around in a Rolls Royce. So the reason that Tom Tuppence wanted to be him was because, quote, I feel like a lot of hot butter, which must be like, you know, the ultimate in like, I'm rich, so therefore I can have hot butter on all of my, you know, and apparently he gets to say, my dear fellow, my dear fellow, or something yeah, he's, like that. Yeah, so, so Tuppence is constantly saying, my dear fellow in this, which is so, adorable. Which is adorable. So that was, and then um, the superintendent who works with that Dr. Fortune is what Tuppence was supposed to be. So they were just like, you know. So the mechanic of the story was interesting because they were like, why would you want to switch? Why would you want to switch? And then they... So they're trying to figure out like where they're, because like the super, the ambassador says there's there was nothing of value in that you know, or nothing like secret documents in that bag. It was my boots. So the um, but then what they do is they advertise for the name of a lady who came to the boots, who who walked by this bag when it was on the boat and um felt fake faint, fainted, fake felt faint in a way that uh, clearly Agatha Christie thinks nobody ever you know feels faint because the same thing was done in the mysterious fair no 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 in um murder on the on the links I mean fainting is is fainting is a real thing easy thing to fade fake especially if you're an old-timey lady right we're like oh I'm overcome because like can you imagine today if anybody was like if someone fainted I'd be like oh my god they have an underlying disorder what's going on like people will just faint no, people don't. I mean, we don't wear corsets anymore. We we could breathe. Um, <laughs> but they didn't wear corsets in the 20s either. But I think they were kind of like... But there was a stereotype of women fainting. Right. So just like, just, And that's why it's kind of like, seems like a cop-out in that other story 
when the woman dies from the fright of the fire. So oh, like this yeah, is yeah. a woman who is willing to kill multiple people for some money. I feel like she would live through that fire. Like she didn't actually get burnt. It was like that the fire of the point. fire was supposed to kill her. And I was like, she seems hardy because she's willing to kill all these people, inject herself with poison to become inoculated to the poison. But then this crazy, you know, religious woman scared her to death, basically. Right, right. That's a very good point. Like, wait, what? It seems fainty. It seems like, oh, my gentle, you know, constitution <laughs> can't tolerate this excitement. Right, right. But anyways, yeah. So point. on the on the on the boat, there was a woman who fainted, but her near name the was ambassador's room, Aileen O'Hara, and Tommy and Tuppence were like, "Okay, Irish much?" You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they thought that was a fake Irishy name. They were like, "Okay, if you're just trying to fool some Americans, where you're like Aileen O'Hara, you know, like what? Just you know, that's too Irish." Yeah. So, um, but um, anyway, so they put an advertisement out for her and another girl shows up and says, well, I'm not her because uh, she had dark hair and I'm blonde. Notice how blonde. <laughs> um, but um, and then and- while she's in the office, this big bad guy comes in and is like, I got a gun and I'm at, well, I'm going to do my American accent. It was an American, but he was like, I got a gun and I'm a big bad guy. I'm right. going to get you, lady, because I don't want you to expose my secrets. And so Tommy, oh, yeah, this is. And then Alfred lassos him. Oh, God. It's so funny because uh, Tommy was like not scared by the guy because she, he was like, this whole thing seems stagey. But then Alfred is like, let me help. Let me lasso a guy with a gun pointed at you. The gun goes off and hits the wall. And Tommy's like, I'm more scared of your lasso. You, And he's like, uh, so he kicks out the scary guy. And she's like, oh, I can take you to my my shop. Where Where I have this secret letter that I saw that was hidden in the ambassador's boots by this woman but when i got it wet coincidentally in my nephew's bath a secret message occurred like it was just like so convoluted oh, and i so convoluted. before you realize that she's lying you're like this is terrible writing if you're gonna see like you're just like this is terrible but it was supposed to be terrible because it was supposed right. to be that she was like that it was a fake story right so she takes oh and we've got to say that um, the valet of the ambassador had started to open the bag that had he had, and they'd said, "Oh, it was just some bath salts." It was like it, it, they said, "Like it looks like some toilet things, including right. some bath salts." Right. So this woman who shows up at the office, who um, then the guy came and was lassoed, was like, "I work at a beauty salon." Come with me. So Tommy does this whole rigmarole. Come with me to get this secret piece of paper that is key to this, but I didn't bring with me. Right. Where a and secret message occurred, and I took it from my nephew's bathtub to my place of business, and then, then I would I bring you to it. But I didn't bring it to you. Yeah. So then um, Tommy also does this whole, like, we're being followed. Let's go this way and then that way. Oh, wait, let's stop and have some food. Yeah. And so you're like, he does a lot is- of stalling to get before they right. get into the business. So when you're like, what is going on? 
So they show up to the beauty salon and they describe that there was a couple of men waiting and that there's a woman with an accent who's trying to make an order. And Tommy goes to the back and has a hood put over his head. And then it was almost immediately taken off because it turns out the couple of men waiting were Scotland Yard and the woman with the accent was um, Tuppence. And he knew that this woman's story was a load of hooey from the get-go because she had dyed blonde hair. I knew you were going to say hooey. (laughs) (laughs) And he said that. He said that to Tuppence. He was like, you've taught me the difference between real blonde and peroxide. And I was like, and I, okay. and, and, and then I cried a, a, a tear. I cried a single <laughs> tear. Although I have toner, so hopefully I don't look like peroxide. But, but, but also like, I use my purple shampoo. I hope I don't look like peroxide. But you know, yeah, she had dyed blonde hair, and so he, he was saying that basically she was the same woman that was on the boat. So she had just dyed her hair since then. But it was like. But a lot of women dye their hair blonde. It's a it's a thing. It is so thing. just because she has dyed blonde hair doesn't mean that she's the bad guy. Right. I, I mean, obviously, she was trying to look different from the Eileen O'Hara that had dark hair. Right. But, but I think he also just didn't buy the whole story. Right. The whole story was hooey. Hooey's a good word. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a good word. I just was like, I bet she's going to say it's a bunch of hooey. And then you said it's a bunch of hooey. And I was like, she said it. She said a bunch of hooey. <laughs> so, but uh, what's also interesting is the I like this mechanic because it was an interesting story because the reason why they switched. Oh, right. We didn't the say the reason. Is because ambassador bags aren't searched at customs and everybody else's is right so it was a bunch of drugs and they had it specifically cocaine Cocaine. comes up a lot in this book it's real cocaine it is so (laughs) you know they think it was just an 80s thing but apparently 29 was woo so yeah so they basically switched bags so they could get their cocaine through customs and then switch it back right and so this again the whole setup would have been fine if they had just been like this random passenger with your same initials switch bags versus this person that you know with your same initials switch bags like that's because true. they could have predicted that he would have been like hey homie we switched isn't bags. that funny that we switched bags they could have just been like rando with your initials that's switch true. bags with you although when the servant for the well, it wasn't actually a servant, but you know, when they said, Oh, I'm the servant for Senator so and so, we switched bags, he must have been like, Oh, I know him, no problem. So, oh, I can okay, see why the bad guys would have done that, but it's true. Like, as, he yeah. wouldn't have asked questions if it had been like rando with your, with or your... if it had been American. Like, why wouldn't they have said, hey, it was a British guy who was coming back. Right. Who I'm Lord so-and-so. Because he would have not learned Lord so-and-so, but he wouldn't have questioned Lord so-and-so's servant who had said, hey, you have my bag. You know? Right. There's, yeah. And then he wouldn't. But so, it led to the story. So that was a fun setup. And that, and that one kind of worked for me. Right. Yeah. 
So the last story and okay is here's why I like this. I feel like it's making fun of the big four, which is why I like that. Oh, totally. It's called number six and like it's totally and like yeah. So they're the they're four, doing Kyokuparo, and like at the end, the big reveal is I feel like she's mocking herself. Like maybe she knew the big four was ridiculous, and this was a nod to that because I felt like less judgy of the big four after reading this story. Oh, really? It makes you soft on the big four, huh? It made me soft on her. Doesn't make... Okay, on her. so the okay. big four is just as bad. But I felt like she's aware right. of that. And like self-awareness is everything in life. That's true. <laughs> so, first of all, like the code from the beginning for the big bad guys was using the number 16. So, Tommy starts saying, oh, it's like the number four but squared so it's 16 so and then tommy uses some of her kilparos like which again is hilarious right so this is a this is an author writing about detectives who are imitating authors so she goes through all the greats and they she goes through all these fictional authors that they pretend to be and then the last story they pretend to be one of her own authors so it's like super self-referential what a, but like in a way that oh, works total. like it, it could just be this ego party because it's like her fake detectives pretending to be her other fake detective but i i feel like it works and especially because there's a little bit of a joke like about the big four right right so it so is they decide to be Hukio Paro. and what's interesting is at the beginning at the very beginning of this one, Tubbins is like, after this case, we're quitting. And as a reader, I was like, the fuck you are? I'm enjoying this. Why would you quit this? Like, what's going on? Plus, Tubbins doesn't quit things. Right. Like, it doesn't add up. So I was like, when I first right. read that, I was like, gross. I'm going to forget I read that. Because Tubbins is like, after this story, right. we're quitting. And Tommy's right. like, all right, whatever. You say a lot of stuff. <laughs> So true. So, um, I yeah. But they also were doing some kind of wrap up, like you know, the uh, inspector was like, "We've caught." Yeah, they do sort of a wrap up. Like these are all the cases. These are the ones that went well and the ones that didn't go well. And yeah, they are wrapping up. You're right. And that they do another perfunctory like Tuppence should stay home because it's dangerous. They haven't done that one in a while. And she's like, "Forget you guys." Um, but then what happens is, um, somebody, wait, what happened? Did somebody showed up? Yes. Scotland yard dude comes and says, Hey, we think they're on to us, but here's a bunch more things to say. We know what the spies are supposed to say. They say this, you say that this is the code word. You say that they say 16, you say 16, you say cross the canal and you say Berlin. So, like, he gives them the code, but it's basically, like, they know that we're full of shit. They know that this fake detective agency is a fake, fake detective agency. (laughs) So, basically, the Russians know that this is no longer under their control. (laughs) Fake, fake. And, right. So, basically, you're under, you're in risk because they're going to come try to get you. But play along with it. It's going to be fine. So, of course, it's not fine. Right, and so they totally do the big four thing where they go into their office and 
they've ripped off a couple of pages of the calendar so it says 16 which is yeah such one a of those big, big wall like, like the number 16 is on the wall and then the man walks in and he's like i need help with my friend whose daughter is 16 years old and then but wait 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 before that they had already decided that they were gonna so it when there was nobody there they he starts to, uh tommy starts saying i'm gonna be here crew for oh and he starts talking about you know, using his phrases. And that's when Tuppen says, I have a feeling that this particular adventure will be called the Triumph of Hastings. And Tommy says, never, it isn't done. Once the idiot friend, always the idiot friend. <laughs> Which again, because that's her own character, it's just hilarious, right? Right, right. But totally. luckily he doesn't go with so a fake the- French accent with this one. Right. So then a prince guy shows up. Prince Russianish Eastern European sounding last name. Right. And comes in and he starts using the code words. He's like sixteen sixteen and Tommy's like sixteen sixteen and he's like across the right channel and he's like Berlin Berlin. And they're like, Oh right, let's drop the pretense. We all know what we are here. Let's meet at headquarters. They're all like bum bum. And Tommy's like, I wonder where headquarters is. But sure, I'm going to pretend to know. So, and then he's like, great. Well, I'll, I'll take uh, your second Natasha, who is Maurice. Is this Maurice? <laughs> no, or, no, yeah. you're right. It's not, I was just rocking bull wiki game. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have lunch at the Blitz and then we will go meet at headquarters. Um, so they're like, dun, dun, dun. But then they're like, okay, they're all going to, he's going to have lunch with Tuppence at the Blitz so that we'll be able to figure out everything. So, um, oh, and then they put a recorder in the office so the, uh, b- because they knew that this was happening. That's very dictaphone. convenient. So Scotland, a dictaphone, which we know about from the murder of Roger. Actor. That's right. Uh, but apparently this dictaphone is like a live tweeting dictaphone. Because he Scott was like, and I was right like, that's away. not a dictaphone. That's basically like, it's a wire. Like, I mean, because I feel right. like a dictaphone like still had to record, then you hear back later. But this was definitely like right. whatever the technology was was supposed to be like live streaming was happening, so they don't miss anything. Right, because Scotland Yard knew that Tuppence and the Prince would gone yeah. to the Blitz. Anyway. So then they're having lunch, and apparently the entire restaurant and hotel have been taken over by the cops. The, the server, the everybody there is yeah. a cop. Because they knew this was happening because of this magical dictaphone. Which you're right, because in 1929, that's kind of amazing that they could, like, have a Yeah, I don't think they had that, they that like, live streaming technology at that time. Uh, yeah. Also... So then... The question is, yes. which again, I can come back to. Well, let's let's go through it, and we're, I'm going to come back to questions that I have. So, so then, for a while, so Prince Vadapuba just... takes her to the Blitz, and they have lunch, and everybody is, yeah, it's like around yeah. them. So then they go into the lift, which is also the elevator. <laughs> um. And then they're supposed to be going up to the suite, but they, and they have like a, they already have an agent suite. inside the suite. They are like they've copped this place all up. 
but then they don't show up to the suite. Right. They never show up. And they're freaking out. So they're freaking out and going on every level and they're going out. Blah, and they finally go into a hotel room. They figure out. The operator is like, they uh, didn't go to the fourth floor. They went to the third floor. So they go to the third floor and they find the room. They find this old lady tied up. An American. An American who is in a negligee? Is that right? Later on. Later, later she's on, in. she's in a negligee. Right now, she's just tied up and like, I'll listen. So she's like, talks about the man and the woman coming in and going out and then dressing as a hospital nurse and a patient or something. Yeah. And, and because there was a hospital nurse and a patient or something. Which is how they got out past all the guards because... Right, oh, Scotland Yard the is entire... there, but they they right. weren't looking for these two. They were looking for Tuppence and the Mr. Prince. They were not so, looking for this hospital nurse and the patient. So then they're freaking out, and um, and the American woman is like uh, doing the "I'll sue the hotel" and you know what Americans do. <laughs> um, Americans are nice, you know. Uh, Either idiots or bad guys in almost every time she has one. That is correct, and, you know. and I'm not. I'm not arguing with that. Right, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'd like to say you we're wrong, but I feel like a uh, hundred years later. Uh... Right. So then Tommy is like freaking out because they haven't found Tuppence. They haven't found Tuppence. And this is like, real. Like really all care. this whole time, it's been a cute game, and now his wife is literally missing. Right, because they look through this whole room where the rich American was, and there was a bunch of trunks. They look at all the ones, and he's going and talking to Alfred about it. He's like, "What's happening?" And Alfred, it's so he cute because, find... and that's why I feel like if I was watching this as a show, it'd be super cute. Because Alfred was like, "Hey, be a detective. What do you always do?" And then Tommy was like, "That's cute when we're playing games, but like my wife is literally missing." And Alfred was like, "But right. still, do it. Just you're actually good at this. You're not just fake good at this." You're good at this. Just right. be a detective. So he gets him calm enough to go through to pretend to be Hokio Paro and to like go through the facts of the case. And that's where he realizes that there wasn't enough time for this bad guy to go in, tie up this old American lady, um, get Tumpins into like this patient costume, get himself as a woman, and then roll on out. In like before the detectives got there to the room, so he realizes there wasn't enough time, and so that to him that indicates that Tuppence is still in the room. So he runs back to the Blitz. Which, by the way, why is the name of the hotel the Blitz? I don't know. Apparently, is, is that it, a real? That must be a real name. But that's what I was like the Blitz or the name. Ritz. Yeah, I know it's so weird, and especially since this is before World War Two when the word Blitz was used by Hitler for the Blitzrig was the attack on London was bombing attacks and now is that where the football term comes from is from the Nazis yes yeah that's not great I know I mean a lot of things about football aren't great you know also concussions and racism so it's okay that tracks (laughs) right but yeah that's where blitz comes from was blitzrig but it's not no that's where the term blitz comes from oh man I mean it sounds German I should have known yeah, but but then this this hotel. So whenever I see the hotel, the Blitz, I'm like, but that's a horrible attack. But this was written in 29 before the uh, yeah. Interesting, anyway. and I'm just like, does, do they just do that because it rhymes with Ritz? And they were like, is it like the right, McDowell's exactly. of? <laughs> right. 
Did you just make a coming to America reference? <laughs> nice. I mean, I'm just like, I mean, I have a 90s brain, you know? So um, Tommy figures it out and Albert's like, what? What's happening? And he's like, that's okay. You're not supposed you're, to hate You're Hastings. You're Hastings. So it's okay. My little gray cell's got it. You're an idiot. Come with me. And so they run back to the hotel. So I love, he just goes into this woman's room and she's on the bed, but in a negligee and like, what's happening? And he's like, they lift up the mattress of the bed and Tuppence is drugged and underneath the mattress. Yeah. And apparently Tommy was like, oh, I know that you can hide underneath between the mattress and the box springs or the, the bolster. And the and I was like, that still sounds terrible. And honestly, I have nightmares about like being in tight spaces like that. So I was like, shudder, shudder, shudder. But apparently they had drugged Tuppence and put her somehow under the mattress. But again, we'll come back to this under questions I have. Instead of just killing her, she's drugged right. but not dead, but deeply hidden right. in a mattress. And I was like, usually when there's a woman hidden in the mattress, she's already dead. Right, right. So then Tuppence was there. They found her. She's alive and dead. And then Turns out the American lady the American was in on it because woman. there wasn't enough time to be tied up and all that stuff. So she was in on it. She wasn't in on it. She was the bad guy. She was Prince. Oh, that's right. She's number 16. Right. Right. They pull off her wig. Oh, wait. She was the prince. So she was in drag. Right. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I, oh, that's fun. I totally missed that. And I definitely reread it like at least three times. I did not catch. I knew that they pulled off her wig. And Zedaha number 16, but I did not catch that she was Prince Bloody Pooba. Right. She was a she was the yeah, and Oh, so that's so, so okay, it? so that one's a fun drag one for me. The fact that she could pass on interview, right. this prolonged interview, and then be in a negligee and, and then call it becoming right. and play American. So she's doing a lot. And then at the end, right. the Scooby-Doo moment, they pull off her wig. And she's Prince Vladi Puba. So, like, gender means right. nothing at this point. That one I liked. I didn't even catch that. Right. Like, it was so deeply in the gender play. I just was like, this was like a random American woman who's helping them out who happened to be wearing no, no, a wig. No. Oh, I like no, no, that. No. She was. She was Vladi Puba. She was. Now well, and I wonder because the prince, who's he watching? <laughs> probably could pull off a little bit more. Uh, effeminate um, stylings because the British guys would just be like, oh, he's foreign, right? right. So the transition from Prince Bafafa to the American lady might not have been that much of terms of makeup changing. You know what I mean? But in a negligee, that's some work. They made a point to put her in negligee and as, you know, right. anyone who's done drag knows, that's not easy. No. Okay, that's fun. So... Okay, so that's yeah. a fun solution. So, and then again, to kind of like wink at the audience, Agatha Christie has Tommy pull off her wig and say, "Aha, number sixteen, I've got you." And it's like it, and it seems very much like this dramatic reveal moment where he's like referring to number four. I mean, they say that they're referring to the right. big four, with the Hercule right. Poirot moment, but it it seemed like to me as an audience like it was like her winking at us like that was ridiculous and so is this 
Right, right. But questions I have about this case are one. Okay, so if I'm the bad guys who know that this detective agency is fake detective agency is now fake fake and it's been infiltrated by the British. Right. My goal is to go there and kidnap the wife who's not even really working for them, but just sort of like along for the fun ride. And (laughs) I want to kidnap her and put her in a mattress to kill her later. To what end? Like, what does getting Tumpence do? Like, there was no ransom. There was no pumping her for answers. It was just like, we're going to put her in a mattress and then kill her later. So what does getting Tubbins do for the bad guys? And if it if it's just to kill her because they're just mad, why go to the Blitz when you say you're going to the Blitz? Say you're going to the Blitz and then, like, go to, again, go to a ravine. Do something sketchy. Right. Like, why go to the actual hotel where they're expecting you to go, where they have an agent in every single room because they're expecting you. And then once you get there, okay, they found the the inspector knows that she's not that, that she's drugged because he finds a fragment of a hypodermic needle. Because that happens. because when you when you're hypodermicing someone, you go in and out. Like why why did you break it? <laughs> why did you break it? Why are you so bad at this? Like so like you could just know she's drugged without finding a fragment of a needle. Just be like oh, I don't know I didn't find a needle fragment, but she's probably drugged because that's a thing. Right. That was a concern. Why didn't you just kill her? And then why did you drug her heavily and put her in a mattress? Like, if I'm putting a lady in a mattress, I'm going to kill her, which I'm not going to do any of those things. I didn't mean to say that so first person. In fact, that all bothers me a lot because I have a lot of claustrophobia and also fear of, like, dead people in hotel rooms. But, like, why did you just drug her heavily? Like, why did you just kill her and put her in the mattress? I had I went through a phase where I watched way too much Law & Order, especially, like, you know, the... Not SVU, but what's the other creepier one? Criminal. Oh, see, I should never have watched that, and I watched way too much of that. So, like, I have so many phobias just from that show. Mostly women in mattresses. Who may or may not be me uh, on top or underneath the mattress. But either way, it didn't make any sense to me that she was alive. And I'm so glad, because I like that character, and I don't want her to be dead. But I was just like, and again, I feel like Agatha Christie at the end, she pulls out the wig, and she sort of winks at us as an audience, and she's like, I get it. This is ridiculous. Thanks for coming along with me. Well, my question is, they let, Tommy left the hotel, went back to the office, and is freaking out with Albert. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And then Why like, did she stay in the mattress? Right. Why did she stay in the hotel room? Okay. Once Especially now left- that I know that American lady in the negligee is Laddie Poo Boo in, in drag. While they're gone, I'm getting you out of the mattress and actually killing you, putting you in the trunk, or checking out. Right. So why is she still at the hotel when he goes back? Right. Why, did he, why were you just like here in your negligee in drag like you had time to get further into drag because she went more naked which is more work when you're in drag keeping the lady in your mattress right but not killing her yet right so that part did make sense i didn't even think about that part because like tommy had time to go away have an existential crisis alfred calms him down (laughs) They solve the problem. Yeah. They come back to the hotel and she's still just like chilling with the lady in the mattress. Right. 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 
These are questions that we have. These are questions that we have. But the other thing is, is that at the very end of the book, um, he's like, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. And she's like, no, we're not. And he was like, yeah, you can't take the shock. And she was like, and she's like, I don't care about shocks. I don't give a crap about shocks. I'm pregnant, by the way. Yeah. She doesn't say pregnant. She's like, we're going to have a baby. It's so cute. Right. It's so cute. And she's like, women these days don't hide it. We shout it. She didn't, yeah, she didn't say the word pregnant because probably that, but she was like, I'm talking about our baby. Yeah. And then she's like, it's an adventure I've never done before. And I was like, oh, that's a good reason. Like, it's funny because, like, it could sound sort of like women need to calm down and be mothers, but like, knowing tumpins as we do as an audience at this point you're like that's actually super sweet because like no you shouldn't be pretending to be a detective you know like you know running around the streets like it it actually seems super cute right right so and then we don't hear from tommy and tuppence until the 40s she doesn't write another tommy and tuppence book until the 40s. oh interesting um but I can tell you, didn't have just one baby. They had twins who were boy girl. So, in case you got people following along, uh, I have boy girl twins. So, so things yeah. that we wrote that we were thinking about from themes from this book were like, I like the fact that like it really shows, you know, just like that fake it till you make it mentality and we've all done that when you're like starting in a business or starting in a new profession and you're like i'm gonna what would a person who knew how to do this job how would they act person who was confident this how would they act and they just they just they they do that so well and the way that they kind of pull that through the whole thing in terms of like emulating these like fictional detectives as a theme because like even though by the end they've actually done several they still feel like amateurs to themselves. And so I think they do a really good job of like capturing that energy of what it feels like when you're just like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I need this person to think that I do. And I've been there and I just, I really appreciated the way that she captured right. that energy. Totally. And yeah, it is honest about it. Like I felt like, more much more so than a lot of detectives and even her other detectives um they are much more honest about yeah the self-awareness how scary how scary it could be how like what if i don't know anything how murders suck because somebody died yeah and like and and you're right compared to and we haven't read that many miss marples yet um but hilkuparo is so just sort of like omnipotent right so he does and he like, never he, he's like oh that's and then bad. he'll he always has a or, moment where he's like i have been deemed but then it's also still not in a humble way like it's it's never like like you said it's never like murder is terrible and it's never i'm not sure i can do this and so you're right having these young right. people who are just like and they're at this point they're not supposed to be that young they're supposed to be like <gasps> 30 Right, right. Um, uh, were they supposed yeah. to be thirty-ish? I think he's supposed to be thirty-two. Okay, yeah. I think she's supposed to be a little bit younger. But um, but the the fact that they're just like, uh, what would we do if we knew what we were doing? And oh my god, right. like they start off lighthearted and then be like, that person really died. This is terrible. 
Right. Um, but playing the role is really cute because they're just like, if I were a detective, how would I do that? And Alfred's like, if I was the office boy for this detective agency that's super fancy, how would I act? Right. Or if I were a cowboy, how would I lasso? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's super cute. And they have the whole, they do have a lot of costume play in this and, and drag, as you said. There's a lot of men that dress as women, which is fun. Right. I mean, usually they're the bad guy, which is another trope in a lot of fiction about... That's true. It's, it's never um, like Tommy goes in drag to solve the problem. So you're right. It's always the bad guy right. in drag. Although she dresses in drag and solves the problem in, in one of them. In the finessing the king. Remember, she dresses <gasps> That's in drag. right! Okay, that's a win. But so, you're right, because so, women in drag is less uh, scary to society. Yeah. So you're right. Men and so, Drag have to be the villain. But, that's not great. Yeah, that's not great. But, but there's that magical realism element where she manifests this thing because she's just like, I'm bored. And then the, the inspector shows right. up and is like, do you guys want a detective agency that's really a spy agency? And you're like, yes. So her way of sort of like um, bringing yeah. the energy that she wants into her life is is fun. And the fact that the as an audience, we go along, we believe that. She didn't have a job she had nothing to do. She, Once they got married and she was supposed to be happy and content like keeping their house tidy, she was mind-numbingly bored. Right. And it's one of those things like if she only worked because they got this opportunity, but it's like my response to her being bored is like go do something. You know, like you don't have to do it just because Mr. Carter says start a, you know, write a book, become a teacher, like uh get a job right. i mean do something if you're bored you know so that's kind of an interesting thing like well but but in her station they had enough money she didn't have to work right. so it, that didn't occur to her yeah like but then when it was pretend work where she was pretending to be the secretary right. she could have actually been a secretary the, for an actual detective agency right. she could have gone out in the want ads and found something like this but you're right right it was like rich people playing which is also such a contrast because they spend all their time in the first book talking about how broke they are and then all their time right. in this one talking about how money's no problem and it's like i don't think that happens to anyone ever where like you're super broke and then you're like huh it's funny having like more money than god isn't that interesting like i don't think that ever happens i think you'd be like less broke than you were before but you right. never stop worrying about money and I feel that like people who don't right. worry about money have always not worried about money. Right. Although it did come up. I mean, they, they did talk about money more than I think you're right. than Because, you know, um, she mentions, like, I would have thought a couple of years ago if there was enough money, I'd be happy. And he's like, why, you know. Um, and then w when they're talking to the clergyman's daughter, you know, so there is there's more of awareness about where they came yeah. from. But yeah, they're just like, woohoo. So when they were like partying with the counter, And I forgot, people, you're right. Because like in the other book, Tommy comes into money. So they really do go from like rags to riches the, kind of thing. Right. Like he had an uncle who was, yeah. Um, he gets a, a house and an income. Um, right. So, and then he also has Yeah, I job. forgot about that. Because I was just thinking about his job. And I was like, I mean, it sounds like a middle class job. We don't stop worrying about money, but I was like, I forgot he also had like a inheritance. Right, right. So, 
So, and yeah, it makes their relationship seems. Because even though she stays at home and he works in that convention, their relationship seems very. Oh. Very equal. Yeah, uh, very balanced. And it does. It just seems like, yeah, that thing they have like a very like jovial relationship where they each tease each other and they each sort of like are ribbing each other the whole time. But it's it's very equal in both directions, which I think is hard to find. A lot of times it's like the the man kind of ribbing the woman, but like it's very equal back and forth. Right. Which is, you know, to go to some of the things that she's written about relationships, it's kind of interesting about like in the man in the brown suit when the one woman was like, we need to talk to a man. And the main character is like, oh, it's because you're married. Like, <laughs> just because you're married does not mean we have to bring a man into it. We're fine, you know. And he's just going to take over everything. Right. And I think that's why Tuppence loves Tommy is because he doesn't take over everything. He definitely always gives her enough space. And it's not in a very old-timey condescending kind of way like oh i'm gonna give you enough space for this dear like he literally gives her space right and they throw things at each other like cushions and yeah literally and and food (laughs) and like they literally throw things at in a teasing way in a way that i'm thinking i don't throw things like (laughs) yeah right (laughs) actually i suppose i have thrown a cushion before but anyway um so that was a super fun read. And what is our next book to read? The Seven Dials Mystery, ah, which is a follow-up on um, uh, The Secret of Chimneys. And it has some of the same characters as The Secret of it Chimneys. Um, it's fun. It's not The Secret of Chimneys fun, but it's fun. Yeah. I have more questions for Seven Dials than I had for Chimneys, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So that is our next one. It's back to being a novel as opposed to um, a collection. The collections are hard. They take a long time. Yeah, apparently. Um, They take a long time to talk about them. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so we look forward to talking about our uh, next Murder at the Vicarage next time. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye.